Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record they go back to again and again for comfort. This time I'm talking to the writer and actor Larry Rickard, best known for Ghosts and Yonderland and Bill and Horrible Histories and all that sort of thing. This is part two of a two-part chat about the sitcom Friends. So if you've missed part one, go back and listen to that one first, because this will make sense. We're still doing it in English. We'll be talking about a show you've heard of called Friends, but it's better if you do it from the beginning, because that's the order we talked about it. So, uh, yeah, go back. Otherwise, if you have heard part one, this is part two. Enjoy. Because it's particularly strange that new generation have found it and completely get it and embrace it, and at the same time are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're doing ninety percent of what they're doing." Yeah, because uh, you know some things about it are problematic. Some are right on the cusp of mm. being problematic, and I think nothing shows the gulf of time that a couple of decades can be yeah. than looking at something with huge cultural resonance. And, you know, something which is big and broad and is watched by lots and lots of people. And to the point that, like I say, it's being repeated in the mornings on Channel 4. It wasn't like, oh, my God, this thing is really, you know, it's not like listening to a Derek and Clive album and then going, God, that was offensive. But there were so many things in it where uh, a few years pass and you go, oh, not sure we should have been doing that. Wow, you look just like your son, Mrs. Tribbiani. (laughs) Are you referring to my man's bag? At first, I thought it just looked good, but it's practical, too. Check it out. It's got compartments for all your stuff. Your wallet, your keys, your address book, your makeup. That's an interesting thing, I think, with comedy. People are constantly obsessed, certainly now, obsessed with what you can and can't say. And the answer is, you should say anything that gets a laugh. That's what you're aiming for. You're trying to make your audience happy. Hmm. The only thing you can find out by watching old comedy isn't 
what the comedians and writers were like. You find out what the audiences were like. Yeah. It's taking the temperature off the planet. And the thing that we should look at is, you know, oh, I can't believe those awful people made that awful comedy. You go, I can't believe we were awful. I didn't even have a chance to act as though I'm okay with it. You should feel, hopefully, that we've become kinder and softer and yeah. more understanding. Give Daddy the Barbie. <laughs> give, give the Barbie. Okay, how about, don't you want to play with a monster truck? But it doesn't mean that the show is terrible. In fact, it's quite useful to watch the show and find out how recently we changed. Dude, don't do that to me. Oh, no, it's cool. You can stay here. My parents won't mind. No, it's not that. I just don't want to be stuck here all night with your fat sister. This is the thing. I think because it's so tempting to go, oh, have you seen that show that those terrible people made that said all those awful <laughs> things? And you go, well, it went through what would have been a very, very nervous and quite constrictive production company because it's an American network show and, you know, they do not like to say, oh, just make whatever you want and send it in. With the advertisers will have approved The advertisers, <laughs> compliance, all of the channels it's being sold to, you know, there would have been so, so many eyes on it and people are going, yeah, yeah, that's all fine. I'm Rachel. I'm a friend of Monica and Chandler's. I'm Amanda. Oh, I get it. Uh, man, Duh. <laughs> That's the jokes we make. Yeah. These are what we find funny. You receive yourself reflected in the screen whenever mm. you watch comedy and whenever you laugh because you're trying to make everyone in the room. It's a live comedy with an audience and that audience needs to keep laughing. Yeah. So that whole audience has to be in agreement that these are our values. This is what we think about gay people. Do you want a date Saturday? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> he is cute. He's funny. He's, he's a he? Well, yeah. Oh, God. I just... I like... You don't get any laughs unless everyone's in agreement. No mm. one's pushing a boundary and making people think of something new. The sound of consensus laughter is why it was a massive hit. So I think it's really good for our kids to watch it and go, that's what we were like. Don't you have a little too much penis to be wearing a dress like that? Like I might watch Carry On, yeah. though. Is that what you found funny? Yeah. I don't want them to not show those things. No, no, I want absolutely. to look at them and laugh. Yeah. So how goes the dancing? Gay yet? And also, you know, it's a little bit, there's a bit of archaeology about it, looking at things which have changed and going, isn't it interesting that that used to seem completely okay? There is nothing you could put on a list that would, that would ever make me not want to be with you. Well, then I guess that's the difference between us. See, I'd never make a list. The things that you would have guessed, maybe in 20 years' time, I wonder whether that sort of line will still be landing. Yeah. Absolutely fine. Things that you probably thought were completely inane. And you go, good God, who knew that that would be an issue in two decades? Rachel and I hired a male nanny. Really? Guys do that? <laughs> that's weird. Thank you. Yeah, that's like a woman wanting to be a... A what? A what? What's the end of that sentence? Yes, what is the end of that sentence? Uh, a penis model. <laughs> um, it wasn't like they were thinking. This is touch and go, but I think we should do this bit of material yeah. because it's important. It was just a gag and a laugh. But it's weird. It's somehow different with comedy. That I suppose it's because it's light and it's frivolous and it's making you laugh and it's an entertainment. Yeah. That you're not given the same license as you are with the drama. Obviously, everyone's watching a 1960s James Bond going, this guy's awful. <laughs> but it's not sort of shouted down and railed against in the same way as it would be if you're watching yeah. a comedy of that period because it's not trying to be 
light and fun and you're going no you're not being light and fun because you've done something wrong if it's trying to be dark and gritty and it ends up being dark and gritty in a slightly different way yeah it's sort of less offensive to your sensibilities and that's a great be point made laugh. it says something about how comedy works and comedy does work by consensus mm. you have to get especially a live comedy everyone in the room to agree it's funny yeah yeah so the moment you drop in a joke now and the person at home is going why are those guys laughing that's not funny yeah then you feel that the tribe split up and yeah, you feel yeah. a bit isolated you're going is it just me who finds that offensive yeah. so i think it is you're right it is weird you can watch an old drama you can watch the sweeney and enjoy mm. it and not mind that it's sexist because those guys they're i'm not meant to agree with everything they say yeah yeah whereas the comedy to laugh you have to, to agree, agree with the values absolutely and That's, it's especially yeah. an audience comedy wow you guys <laughs> sure have a lot of books about being a lesbian <laughs> i think as well that it's weird how things get pushed in two directions in terms of what's acceptable things either go that seemed absolutely fine at the time and now that seems really offensive or you'll look at something like the sex pistol swearing on reg grundy and you go god was that Really? Is that bad? <laughs> like, if, I reckon if they'd have gone out there making friends and were just like, we're going to make the most offensive sitcom we possibly can, now we'd be looking at it and going, God, isn't it quaint that they thought that was offensive? <laughs> what are you guys doing? We're just hanging out by the spoons. <laughs> Ladle? Uh, will you guys grow up? This is the most natural, beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, we know, but there's a baby sucking on it. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that, that struck me about it, looking back on it, is because of where it was set, and you know that it, and the fact that they're in a nice part of Manhattan as well, yeah, and yeah. they they justify that by it being you know a rent-controlled flat that she's <laughs> yeah. somewhat dubiously inherited <laughs> yeah. from her grandparents. That it meant that there's nothing about their look or their costume which gives you any clues to help you understand them as characters. Yeah, and normally, you know. Ghost is obviously the extreme example that yeah. when you see what the captain wears, you're expecting a certain sort of character and that gives you a shorthand. When yeah. you see someone whose head's being cut off, you go, right, they're a little bit unlucky. <laughs> You've got a fop with big floppy hair. You go, I wonder if they're really vain. <sighs> and even, you know, not being that extreme, but if you see the way that, you know, that Del Boy's coat and hat and Rodney's yeah. sort of anorak, you've just got a lot of clues. And even when you've got a very nerdy character like the paleontologist. Electrifying. <laughs> Infinite time. You know, there's a Starbucks about three blocks down. Not being coded, you know, he hasn't got grease yeah. back hair and a bow tie and, you know, wow, thick yes. rimmed glasses. They could almost be wearing each other's costumes, with the possible exception of Phoebe, because she's slightly new age and hippie-ish. There's a degree to which they give her a costume that slightly sits with that, and she's not as off the peg as the others. But otherwise, they're kind of interchangeable. And so, again, you're having to do more work to establish them as rounded characters, because there's no shorthand to it. That's incredible. That, what that gives you as well is that it immediately sets up a situation where there's no pecking order. It's a very classless show. Yeah. Their relationship is only to other people outside, people outside the group give them challenges of status but within the six they're all of equal status yeah there's none of them there's not ones who are older or younger again for an ensemble to have everyone the same age yeah in the same clothes of the same socioeconomic background because Rachel is really beautiful yeah, and, right, there's no sense in which any of them are stuck in a role of being uh, alpha or beta or their aspirations what it gives you is a chessboard of pieces that can move anywhere yeah because they're all equal this is an informative night for me because I always thought the uh, Ensemble Award was a uh, 
was a wardrobe award. <laughs> and Matt LeBlanc and David Schwimmer and uh, Jennifer Aniston, I know. <laughs> I couldn't be here tonight because they're doing publicity for the show, and thank God for that. <laughs> because we got to get a way to get this show out there so that people know <laughs> that it's about friends who drink some coffee and say funny things. Um, and that also creates the thing that, well, of course, was Friends' secret weapon, is that any of them could date any of them. <laughs> yeah, and boy, did they realise that over, yeah. you know, ten seasons. That's... Well, I think they were originally going to try and do a Joey... And Monica, as the mm. maybe coded by the ones with the darkest hair, they yeah, would date. Yeah. I mean, how do you pair them up? Um, but they were going to do that, and they decided that it was going to be Ross and Rachel. Mm. And watching again, I didn't realize Ross and Rachel was not added. It is seeded in episode one. Mm. You know, you probably didn't know this, but back in high school, I had a um, major crush on you. I knew. You did? Oh. Okay. <laughs> There's so many things where you think of plot threads which are really delved into in series three, series four, series five, and you look back at the first two episodes and go, they were threading that there. It's incredible. You know, that, that was being seeded, yeah. And it set up a thing that obviously everyone knows that the, the big revolution that happened in American sitcoms when they realised, will they, won't they, worked. Yeah. And you do Sam and Diane or David and Maddie in Moonlighting and you go, oh, people will come back to watch whether a couple will fall in love, Niles and Daphne. It works really well. It's a breakaway from story of the week, a breakaway from the secret weapon of sitcom was it was episodic and you could watch yeah. any episode in any order. That set up immediately. I was stunned by the craft of it and the braveness of the craft of it in that episode one, episode two, episode three end without a punchline, mm. but they end with a plot line. Yeah. See ya. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait. Hey, what's with you? I just grabbed a spoon. You don't end on the biggest laugh. That's in your over the titles thing. Mm -hmm. But you end and the, there's a cliffhanger yeah. to say, oh, and you don't laugh. It's not a laugh line. You are invited as an audience to go, wonder where this is going. It's a streaming sitcom before, before streaming. streaming. And that's why I think when I talk to my niece, who's a yeah. huge Friends fan, she looks at it as a streaming sitcom, as yep, a absolutely. long arc relationship thing. And I only realised it watching it for this. I went, mm. I don't think I've, I've, I've binged five episodes of Friends yeah. in a row. But, oh, my God, it's a streaming sitcom. And they have proper, you know, arcs that go across. Some of them go across whole series. Yeah. Some sit across parts of the series. And you'll have two or three running at the same time, whether it's about Monica and her job in the restaurant, you know, how mean the people are being yeah. to her, which runs across, you know, a whole half of the series, whether it's the Ross and Rachel thing, which certainly bridges across two seasons, arguably across all ten. Yeah, yeah. And yet, the fact that, you know, they code all those episodes, even by the names, are going, it's the one where it's yeah. also unashamedly a dip in, dip out. Yeah. In isolation, story of the week. Nothing that's happening in the individual episode stories crash into the, the longer narrative threads in play. You can dip in and out of any episode, enjoy it and laugh without having to go... I don't understand what's happening here. There's just enough depth in the longer narrative arcs that they hook you enough to want to come back for more, but they don't exclude you if you haven't seen the context of episodes either side. And it's really hard to find that line, I think. I don't want to get over her. What? I don't. I want to be with her. Really? Yeah, I'm going to go after her. I think, I mean, it's probably one of the greatest examples of that ever, because after this, 
the temptation with streaming, the fact that people are going to binge, is to go, we'll go all out in the long arcs. We yeah. will seed them like little breadcrumbs, and that will be the main reason you come back is to follow those. I think this is one of the great last examples of a story of the week sitcom that has incredibly strong arcs mm. that you can, as you say, watch anyone in any order and you won't be lost. And the thing with comedy, more than drama, is confusion is the enemy. Yeah. If you don't know how everyone's going to be, you occasionally get it with sitcoms where they have got these long arcs. I sometimes switch on a Frasier and I have to remember whether this is before or after Daphne and Niles know. Yes. And you go, I don't want any of that. I want this to be in some lovely state yeah. of stasis where every time I drop in, I know where they all sit on the board, what all their, all their roles are. Mm. The clarity is everything. I mean, if you're working in sitcom now, yeah. the need to have both must be really challenging. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on? You and I just made out. You and I are making out? Well, not anymore. I think you always pulled slightly in two directions. And also you want to have some sense of development so that you're not so stuck in stasis that you go, series five is exactly the same as series one and there's no sense of growth or development there. But it's so easy. We've had, there were times on Ghosts where we discussed plot arcs that were going to cross, go across series where we would then stop ourselves even when they were relatively well developed and go, that's too much and that's too thick yeah. and it would overwhelm the stories of the week and then it becomes a different format and we love the fact that episodes stand alone and you you never want to sort of feel like those stories are playing second fiddle to the stuff that should just be deep background it's the joy um, of comedy it's one of the things that comedy does brilliantly and increasingly i know several people who've uh, who've been submitting scripts recently and been told don't do story of the week for mm. comedy but that's the art form yeah the art form is that you should drop in on a sitcom or a comedy and know who everyone is the stasis mm. is the joy the familiarity people say this about situation comedy and they think the situation is the house or the job yeah what it is, it's a series of fixed characters who are challenged by a different situation every week. The situation is the plot. Yeah, yeah. As in, everything's fixed. The the space they're in, how they react, and you throw different things yeah. at them. And that's, that's what the audience enjoy watching. <laughs> I think that that's the problem with this pull towards more narrative stuff, more narrative stuff, is that ultimately, story of that type invites you to develop and change and have a starting point and an end point. And the only way you can have those changes and developments is to stop things from being the same and make them different. <laughs> and then you go, this isn't the show I bought into. Yeah. It's that thing of, there are sometimes people who make kind of requests of the show, fans of the show going, it would be really lovely to see that happen. Or Mike to suddenly be able to see all of the ghosts or this ghost to come back, that ghost to disappear, and you go, you think you want that, but what that then does is change the thing that works about yeah. it. Ah, ah, I'm going to see you again, man! Yeah, okay, I need help. What you're enjoying is the stability and the predictability, and what you're mistaking there is story and narrative, which you like in drama, and we all like story and narrative. Yeah. Story and narrative has change in it. That's why a film works, or a play, or a book, is, is that someone might be changed. A unique thing in comedy is familiarity and the fixedness of people. And the reason that everyone says a sitcom should be people trapped somewhere. That's why ghosts work so well. It's why friends work so well. What people say, I want change. And you went, yeah, did you like the later series where they changed the cast? Do you like the series of community where there's a different group of people in it? Or were you annoyed when that happened? <laughs> because what happens is everyone bitches about it. When you go, oh, someone left to go and be in something else and you put in a replacement. Do you like it when they recast someone? 
or whether you say, oh, that character leaves and his brother comes in and it's someone else and they switch it up. Everyone objected when Diane left Cheers and, and, and Rebecca Kirsty Alley came in. Yeah. You know, well, the dynamics were roughly the same, but it was slightly different. Mm. Those changes, which everyone says they want because they are yearning for story to happen to the characters they love. What they don't realise is that the writers and production team are trying to trap everyone in amber so that every time you tune in, that carefully balanced machine runs exactly the same way as it did last time because that's what you're enjoying predicting what's going to happen and it's still surprising you yes yeah that is i think that's exactly what it is it's it's that fine fine balance between surprise and predictability and that is what is so finely tuned about comedy in a way that it doesn't need to be about drama i'm not saying drama's easier but but you are but no (laughs) but you know yeah, drama's about change and development yeah. and going, where's the story going? Where's the story going? And particularly because normally, where, you know, often American long-running dramas start to fall down is that a drama, a story within a drama invites a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. And normally what they have to do in order to work in that network framework is go, I've got a beginning, I've got some idea of a middle, and now what we need to do is endlessly hold off the end yeah. so that we can do another series, another series, another series. And then the idea of it being a story falls apart because it goes, yeah. we've got the beginning, then we've got the beginnings of a middle, and then a really long middle, and then a complicated bit of more yeah. middle. And then, Everyone loves middle. Oh, oh, don't people love middle? middle. Yeah, and of course, everyone who started at the beginning was goes, God, I'm looking forward to the end. And they go, it will either never come, or when it gets here, you'll hate it. Yeah, because you'll be so sick of the middle. <laughs> uh, I remember talking to one of the writers on Succession, and I said, how's it going? And they smiled and said... Yeah, still doing Act 1, Scene 1 of King Lear. And Divide <laughs> the Empire. We have worked out a million variations on Act 1, Scene 1 of King Lear. I think it's a, one of the most perfect examples of how to blend those two things. Oh, my God. Total sitcom bones. It's written just, by sitcom masters. They you, knew how you to can, do it. That's the thing that you can start. I'm not going to go on. Anyway, this was a podcast about friends, but now it's about succession. Quite right. <laughs> Genuinely, watching that. I mean, I watched the first episode, and it was one of those things where I stood up at the end and was like, Yes! <laughs> Because you can tell that that's someone who's grounded in sitcom and the amount of story and intrigue is there, but also it is genuinely properly funny. Yeah. And it's pulling you along and pulling you along, but you never feel that you're being strung along. It always feels like it is building to something. It is going somewhere. And then it was, you know, at the end. No, but it's uh, how it works is it is generous and rewarding to an audience. And that is what... That show, Succession, has got in common with Friends and Ghosts, is that if you've worked out who these characters are, the treat for you as an audience is to watch them do the things you know they're going to do. Yeah. And every time a joke comes in, it might bounce surprisingly off someone you're not expecting. Mm. It might go off in an anger you're not expecting, but no one acts out of character. Yeah. You were given all the tools to know exactly how Phoebe or the captain or Roman will react. Yeah. And the joy of sitcom is not as much to do with plot and change as to do with character and essence. Look at me, I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? I think as well, because you're used to in sitcom dealing with, you know, the thing that makes people funny is the things that they do wrong, the mistakes they make, the flaws they get. Whereas in drama, the idea is, right, you've got some bad guys who do bad things and then you've got good (laughs) guys who do good things. And the bravery in that, to go against sort of the, you know, conventional edicts and go, there's no one in here who's, there's nobody in this is good, but human nature is such 
is that you will try and grasp, you will look at one of them and your brain will be going, one of them do something tiny that can make me go, maybe you're the good person and I yeah. come back. So if there was a list of seven billion people on this planet that dad would choose to be boss, we know you would be last. Dad fired you, man. No, he did not fire me. He said it was just gonna take a little longer. But he said that to be nice. What I think he meant to say was that he wished that mom gave birth to a can opener because at least then it would be useful. And I remember there would be points in different series there where I'd suddenly go, oh, that one I think is okay. That's the horse that I'm going to hitch my dreams to. And in the next episode you go, oh, they're as bad as the rest. <laughs> <laughs> that applies in, in all sitcoms. You are watching them. And the idea in all great sitcoms is your favourite should constantly change. Yeah. And I love that. We came to the screening of Ghosts recently and people are dressed up as their favourite. And I, went, I hope that changes all the time. Yeah. Because characters are flawed, hmm. because they are letting you down all the time you will change who your favourite is. And whenever I watch Friends, the thing I really enjoy about it is as the lines bounce around, I change my idea of who my favourite is. Yeah. Rachel claims this is her favourite movie. Dangerous Liaisons. Correct. Her actual favourite movie is... Weekend at Bernie's. Correct. And it's usually, who last made me laugh? Yeah. Monica categorises her towels. How many categories are there? Everyday use. Fancy. Guest. Fancy guest. Two seconds. Absolutely. And I think when, with an ensemble sitcom, you have to give people that chance to shine. Chandler was how old when he first touched a girl's breast? 14? No, 19. Thanks, man. It means in certain episodes, you just go, this is a showpiece, a tour de force for Joey. Yeah. And so you're going to come out of that and go, that is the greatest character. Joey had an imaginary childhood friend. His name was... Maurice. Correct. His profession was... Oh, Space Cowboy. Correct. But when you watch the next episode, you go, this is a tremendous episode for Chandler or Monica, and you come out the end going, God, they're good, aren't they? What is Chandler Bing's job? <laughs> oh, gosh! Ten yeah. seconds, you need this or you lose the game. It's, um, it has something to do with trans bonding. Oh, 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 he's a trans, trans monster! You, you know, it's the same people often ask me about Ghost and say, who's your favourite character? And every time I think I've go, oh, I think it's this one, I'll think back to another episode we did on another moment that really made me laugh. And I'll go, actually, no, it's that character. And I, I like that even I can't be certain about who my favourite is on something that I sort of helped create. You get up in the morning and you can wear whatever you like. Thomas is wearing double denim with aviators. So... And Mary is wearing a dress made out of seashells. With a, a simple uh, lobster hat. Maybe just, it's yeah. really healthy. I mean, there was a, obviously the fuss that was made about Friends was that as it went on and it became more and more successful, these people became enormously rich mm. and enormously powerful. And the big story was always how much they were earning. Mm. And it was never that they were all earning the same. Because it's a team. Yeah. And you find with these shows that when they're a team show, that the cast are very loyal to each other and they talk about it being a family. Yeah. And you hear about it on good sitcoms all the time, that there's a sense of in front of the camera and behind the camera that no one is jockeying for position. Mm. And the audience feels that when they watch it, that no one's jockeying for dominance for the laughs, yeah. that it's a team game, that you're watching the ball bounce between people and they're all in position to play the game you're watching a team hmm. that's how they do pits <laughs> first they go up one side they move it over then they go up the other side they move it back and then they do the rear <laughs> what Ro 
boss, will you tell him? Isn't that how a tailor measures pants? Yes, yes, it is. In prison? What you're loving about it is the flat hierarchy. Yeah. Which you said, they're all dressed the same. They're all from the same background. So it's a flat hierarchy. So it's not a star show. No. And, and also that is healthy. Normally, or often with ensembles, it can be that no matter how much you go in thinking you're making an ensemble, a star emerges. Yeah. And you never, you know, sometimes it's obvious from day one, other times it takes a while to come out. With the exception of Rachel's hair. Yeah. It, you know, if you look at, say, Happy Days, you go, there's yeah. an ensemble sitcom, but you go, well, Fonzie. Yeah. You know, Henry Winkler is a standout star there's from that winner. show. There's a winner, yeah. And I'm sure their agent starts to go, well, you know yeah. who the breakout star is, who's getting the toys, yeah. who's getting the merchandise. Friends, remarkably for a show that's commercialised like it was, right to the end, feels like a level playing field. Yeah, yeah. And... What you're watching, I suppose, is something very warming and comforting, which is friends. I mean, it's called friends, yeah. but they're not fighting each yeah. other for dominance, yeah. like friends wouldn't. Hmm. And it's based clearly on friendships that the writers had yeah. to say, sometimes there's a gang of you and not a star, hmm. which is a very un-Hollywood way of telling a story. They yeah. love a star, because then you can get your agent to negotiate more money. Yeah. But that fairness, maybe it's a, it's a lovely show to watch because I don't know about you, I always feel like I might not be the most popular person in any group of friends. Oh, no, I'm the opposite. You think you're the opposite? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah you're no, does. Again, to talk, let's talk about the Beatles again, but there was always that sense that, I mean, I think they've, they've talked about it. I can't remember whether it was Ringo and George who both sort of said at one point they were like, you know, when it was all over or certainly when it was all falling apart, when it was just, it was always the three of you and me yeah. on the outside. And the other one went, I always thought it was the three of you yes. and me on the outside. And I think to a degree it's human nature. And I'm sure there might well have been that sense amongst them where one of them sort of felt like, they were the one that was more on the periphery of the group. But it never felt like that, certainly not as a, as a viewer. Really. And it held together. And it held yeah, together yeah. for 10 seasons because of that. There's not a sense that any one of them could fly off. They didn't do that. No one left. No one came back. No. Uh, it's a very solid group. And maybe that's a nice thing to watch because, obviously, we're talking about a show called Friends. It will be an analogue for how you feel about yourself in your group mm. of friends. As in, you pick your favourite, you identify, oh, I'm a bit of a Phoebe or whatever you might feel yeah. that. Or, my friend is, she's such a Rachel... You're identifying with it. What it is is a story about how those friends hold together. Yeah. And those actors, those incredibly privileged, pampered, maybe troubled actors held together. Yeah. The show held together under that pressure. And that's a nice thing to watch. The reason it's funny is they're all still equal. It, it remained an ensemble. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. 
I never worked out whether it was a blessing or a curse to be the way in which a show is put together, particularly something like that, where on screen they were like, my God, you guys just, you've got this thing and it's lightning in the bottom and you get along so well. Whether you then feel that pressure to go, that's what we're really like. When it's not like you met at high school, it's you're all cast into this show and the chances that you'll all be the sort of people who, beyond the lines that your characters have been given get along and gel and all yeah. of you do. I mean, that was always, you know, the, the reason why, you know, my, my little gang have kept doing things for as long as we have is that we realised how rare it is yeah. to people to be thrown together into a show and going, oh my God, these people are all great and I love spending time with them. Yeah, you're assembled as a cast yeah, yeah, to do a job. Yeah. And it turned out that your platoon was very, very strong. Yeah. Uh, and that's what these guys are. Mm. I mean, is, is there a bit of this that you're watching it because you can identify with that feeling of being an unbreakable ensemble that is completely by chance? Yeah, maybe it is that. I wonder if it's in some ways tricky that people sort of go, you're all thrown together and what are the chances of you getting along? Well, you go, you're thrown together in a format which is saying... And now you all need each other and you need to get along. Yeah. But whereas in some ways, if you'd have been one of these groups that naturally forms because of people you know at school, you don't feel that same sense of, oh, this is something important that needs to be protected. And you might just fall out because friends fall out when you're friends first and then you find something that you can all do together as a job. It's a friendship first and foremost, and those can fall apart. Whereas if you go, this is a job and has a, a format and a structure to it, which needs to be preserved, and then out of that, a friendship grows, that maybe that's the easier version to preserve. I don't know. I mean, it's standards, isn't it? It's Great Britain. You know, Britain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I haven't told you my jumbo jet, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's probably not about to be a bear come... I'm Whoa! That's tricky, well, It's tricky, Who wrote that? Sorry, Robin's got to turn off his iPhone. Robin's got to turn can you play best friends yeah. until you become best, best friends? friends. <laughs> and your job is to do this. The gang together thing, you're thrown together to do a job. Mm. But the bonding that happens with that job is incredible. I'm making a, a short film with, with a friend who used to uh, fit windows right. as a builder, ex-builder. He said, he said his experience was making TV and films and doing construction work were the most intense friendships he'd ever had. Because right, yeah. you have a job to do, you have to build something. It's really hard, it's long hours, it's tiring, and you've got to not let each other down. Yeah. And you get that when you bump into people, especially at award ceremonies, and you see the people who've been through mm. making a thing, and you go... You look like a bunch of people who built a house, yeah. who raised a barn, like an Amish thing. Yeah. Um, it's amazing if you're thrown together as a bunch of misfits, is how all crews are. Yes. You didn't know each other before Monday, and you're thrown together, and as you said, when you're doing ghost stories, it's three months away from your mm -hmm. family. Yeah. You better get on. Yeah. Ah, oh, Alison, there you are. Would you mind putting Guernsey's Nazi past on the VCR for me, please? Excuse me, I haven't watched my football. Oh, I've run out of breath, sorry. <laughs> Maybe what you're watching with friends is the fantasy of Hollywood's slickest, vainest, most ego-driven industry created a thing. Yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be a gang now, you've got to be a team. Yeah, well, you, basically you mustn't compete, you must be... Yeah, yeah it does feel collegiate. It, the warmth of it is is in the fact that they managed to last 10 seasons without them pulling each other apart. Okay, pivot! <laughs> pivot! <laughs> pivot! <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up! <laughs> Normally what happens 
hands, which I think is why when it works, you hold it so tight, is you either all get on and make something terrible or you don't get on and make something brilliant. Those tend to be Amazing. the sort of... <laughs> and so when they came together, started making this show, you get into that sort of siege mentality and everyone starts to get along and working as a family, like say building a house. And then out of that, quite quickly, suddenly the success comes and this incredible success. And, you know, there was that sense that it could be like that. They were taken out by, I can't remember whether it was the one of the writers or execs on the show, the cast were taken out for dinner just before it the first episode went out and they just sort of said to them, oh, this will be the last time you'll be able to do this. And, you know, that sense that they are the only six people who understand what it's like to be the cast of Friends. And that probably gives you a camaraderie which can't be replicated, you know. Because how life-changing in the best and worst ways that must be, yeah. that scale of fame. Uh, it, was, it was nice for, I don't know, four or five months and then it got a little surreal. You start to miss the fact that you can just kind of be in a crowd and walk around. It got a little strange. I think each of us re reacted differently to it. I was, um, I, re I, I don't know, I did not respond well to it. Uh, the, I felt it a real invasion of privacy. Someone just walking up and grabbing you or... You well, know, you should have taken off your friend's <laughs> cape. Yeah. And the show itself is about that. Yeah. It's about holding together. Yeah, yeah. And the, the agony towards the end where you realise they're going to have to fly apart. Yeah. Because this is a, a show not about uh, a situation or a place or a high concept, but about a time. Mm. What's the high concept of Friends? They're 20-something. Yeah. They haven't settled down. What are you hoping from episode one? Well, I hope Ross and Rachel get together. Right, yeah. you're hoping the show ends. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so it's so got weird. baked it's going, into it. Yes. That's true. It, yeah, it starts by going... Everything you like about this is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about the yeah. importance is you're watching, you want simultaneously it to finish mm. and it to go on forever, which is how you feel about the best sitcoms, I think. And now, here we are with our future before us. And I only want to spend it with you, my prince, my soulmate. My friend. And, and also, I mean, I know the American system cares about this less anyway, because, you know, it's sort of like, if the commission comes and they want some more, you make some more, because it is so industrial. And so I don't know whether or not the, the who made that decision to go, 10 is plenty. But it actually ends in a way that's massively, it felt really satisfying to me that they were still friends, but they weren't that, those people in their 20s were their friends as their family they were together and they were in couples and they were having families of their own and they were doing that inevitable thing of splitting up. But still, the fact that it ends with them going off downstairs to have that coffee in the place they always go, the sense you got was they will be like those group of friends ends up being as you get into your 30s, yeah. 40s. It doesn't change. It becomes less intense and it becomes less frequent. But the, you got that sense that they would still be coming back together, that they'd meet up, and it might be two or three of them meeting up rather than all six. And yeah. oh, someone's got a babysit. Oh, and they're out of the country on business. But they'll be. It, 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 but still, when you you got that sense of when the six of them got back together, when their diaries coalesced and they all yeah, got yeah. back together, that it would still be a tight group of friends. And I think that sort of that felt like it, it rung true. I thought it was very nicely handled. It didn't try and do something too big or dramatic it just said life moves on we got some time okay should we get some coffee sure 
Where? Well, obviously, the, the elephant in the room here is that you're just about to say goodbye to ghosts. Yeah. So basically, you're, you've created a sitcom where the entire sit was that people can't move on. Yeah. And you've decided after five seasons to stop it. Yeah. Your own decision, not anyone else's. And you're about to say goodbye to those characters for a start, but maybe those people for a bit. And maybe the same thing, you'll be in the same situation as those friends guys. The only people who know what it's like to make this thing, all the things that you've made together, yeah. you're about to get to a point where maybe the coffee shop yeah. Everyone in. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible mistake. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's so hard to know when the time is right, particularly when we were, you know, we've been so lucky with Ghost that it found an audience and that's the rarest thing, you know, and it landed in a way that we never thought it would. And despite we've been more across the production in an overarching way than we've been able to with anything before and it could so easily have been that those pressures made it a different experience and not as pleasurable but it's been such a joy and I think because of that are the impetus to not let it go wrong or go stale or get worse that the feeling that we wanted to protect it as a thing you know me as a person as a writer as an actor i love making it so much i think i would have just gone on doing it forever yeah. and the inevitable trajectory of anything on television is downward it's only how long yeah. you can stay on the crest and you never know where the crest is you might go oh we're on the crest and then you do another series and it goes up a bit yeah. further normally you get a sense of when you're on a crest <laughs> and it's how long you can plateau and those plateaus don't tend to be massively long and so it was like going the, the thing that we felt we were sacrificing was the ease and the fun of going, let's just keep doing this. But it was to preserve the quality of the thing that we were making and avoiding the risk of going, what if it starts to tail off? What if it starts to go down here? What if now we've done the stories of how everyone, all of those ghosts ended up in the house, the inevitable format change? What if that change made it less good and you're preserving a stasis you're trying to do a thing yeah. that you're talking about here two sitcoms at once in a mm. way that i wasn't expecting us to be doing but i think it's they works really well you've had a massive popular hit that people invest a lot in and it's an ensemble piece about equal distribution of plot and status and everything very similar to friends yeah. about a bunch of friends i've seen a couple of episodes of the the new series and there's a real focus on it's not about the house it's about the friends even finding the one for whom the house is most important says it's about the people not the house yeah it's about friends and what you're talking about there isn't just the characters in the show it's about you as a bunch of friends and then we found in talking about friends we actually ended up talking about the actors as a bunch of yeah. equal friends making a thing there are parallels all along this and it's about saying do you want to stop doing this in order to preserve your happiness at doing it yeah and your happiness with each other and the feeling that you did something really good and as you said no one else knows what that felt like there's only a small number of you who know what it's like to be inside that gang yeah and you've made your friends yeah and it's about friends yeah yeah what a magical thing to have done no i know i mean i do feel i feel tremendously lucky you know to have met the other guys as we did you know all that time ago but particularly with ghosts because it never felt you 
because we've been lucky in having done a number of things and each of them have worked in their own terms, like with the popularity of Ghost, it was, this is BBC One, prime time, and that's really putting yeah, it above yeah. the parapet. And is this where we take the dive? And it turns out that last thing was the high point. And so to have found the reception that it has was just so unlikely and it just makes you invest all the more in trying to preserve it because of course the other thing with 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 ghosts that sort of baked into the format is the sense that those characters are unchanging and in every sense but also physically and at what point do you go that guy doesn't look like <laughs> Again, you've got a thing that, that, that time is locked. Yeah, like, yeah. like Friends, the situation is they can't keep on playing those characters as they get older. Yeah. There's an immediate uh, end point coming up, which is change. Yeah. There's some stuff in Ghosts about life changes that's coming in. And those life changes for the humans and for the ghosts, they're, the fact that they're possible for the humans and impossible for the ghosts is the tragedy of being a ghost. One of the things about ghosts that's really clever is that any interruption to the stasis is to do with being alive because the ghosts fantasize about change, about simple things that we take for granted, hunger and life and death. Change means that it won't be as good as it was because the reason you're still watching it five seasons in is you liked episode one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the point is anything that people are like, I want this to happen. I want that to change. Well, you don't want the characters to look different. You don't want Jennifer Anderson to get older. You don't want the performers to change. You don't want the characters to change. You don't want anything to change. You want the fantasy that things will stay the same forever. That doesn't happen in drama. Drama is all about change. Sitcom yeah. offers a chance for things to always be the same. Mm. It's the high point of the art form. And you do it by recording it so that as we've done with friends you can watch it again and again and again and go back to episode one yeah and even if you watch episode 146 it still feels a bit like episode one <laughs> if the sitcom succeeded yeah, yeah. and we've got this thing where i can watch friends at any point and be back where i was when i watched it it's an amazing thing to leave that it's not got motion in it it's got stasis everyone fantasizes about their friendships never changing yeah than being preserved at the moment you were happiest there was something really, we, yeah, as you know, we, we did a preview of the, the final series at the BFI and um, a couple of people there who work for the BFI and one of them is their in-house television historian who's a fascinating guy to talk to because obviously there is nothing he doesn't know about anything that's <laughs> ever been in history. And um, someone who was there sort of asked what he was doing, whether he was a fan of ghosts, and, you know, thankfully said that he was and he really, you know, really enjoyed watching the show and I said, well, not really under your remit. And he went, we'll be by Christmas. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. It's yours then. Yeah. It passes it's, it's, it's a bit of telly history. And that, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> Just heavy, hearing that from someone like him, I was like, wow. That's, that's giving me a lump in the throat. <laughs> but you did it. I talked about this with people before. One of the things that I love about talking about sitcoms and people who love sitcom is that the best sitcoms are an act of love for the form. They're about faith in this form working, about comedy being worth doing well. Yeah. And the holy graph of everyone of our generation was people's challenge. He said, can you do a BBC One sitcom yeah. that's good? And the challenge for those guys with your friends is, can you do a mainstream, glamorous, massively syndicated sitcom that's really good? Mm. And I think that's what they've got in common. They're really good. I think as well, there's, there's something, you know, one of the things we always tried to find in, in Ghosts was warmth. And I think a lot of that comes from, I know, you know, obviously 
the, the format of the podcast and talking about comfort blanket as being things that you go back to. I think part of the reason that I wanted to get into this as a career, and particularly with the tone of something like Ghosts, why it feels like something that's so precious to me and that I sort of want to preserve and not let sort of fade away, was I remember the point in my life where I found friends. I was at university and I just wasn't very well. I, you know, as is often the case when people are going to university or being in their late teens, I got to, I just got to a point where I'd had a really bad episode of mental health and was suffering terribly with anxiety, anxiety attacks. And particularly when you're new to these things, you get into this cycle of constantly self-checking and going, am I okay, am I okay? And as you start to ask yourself that question, the answer is always, no, you're not. You feel bad because you keep asking yourself the question. <laughs> exactly. And so finding sort of part of the trick until you start getting into, you know, proper therapy and counselling and all the other things which we, we know help <laughs> and should be embraced, that initially it's finding things that break that cycle and bring you periods of comfort and relief. And for me, one of the things I found that just worked in a watertight way every single time was watching Friends because it was escapism and warmth and humour and all the things that were an antidote to how I was otherwise feeling at that period in my life. And I think it's probably meant that I've put an importance in comedy and the value of comedy that might otherwise not have been there for me because I found it to be profoundly helpful at a time when I felt like I needed help. And it is, you know, it's a silly and trite thing and it's an entertainment form and I know that, but it provided a service because of the tone that particular show found that I think is worth having out there. And I think that's why I've always been quite defensive of comedy and particularly a sitcom, you know, as a, as a format and why you've always tried to find something that's got a degree of warmth and comfort and lightness and laughter in it, you know, that there's, there's a value in it. And I hope that there are people who in what can be a very difficult world, particularly as it has been over the last few years, you know, with, with what we've all had thrown at us to provide something that's, light and fun and a relief you know I, I hope that it's that our show has done something that friends did for me when i needed it i can't think of any better way to end that it's absolutely beautiful uh, thank you for talking and thank you for the work you've done in the field of excellent sitcom oh, inspired you. by our friends <laughs> thanks for bringing friends yeah pleasure Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.